Welcome to another episode of the MPEL4 Podcast. What's going on? What's going on, man? How you doing, man? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. This is Mike Ray Anderson. He's a producer, an actor, a poet, award-winning filmmaker, author, mentor, and is now enrolled in Georgia State University. All this after serving 17 and a half years in prison. And we could just dive right into it. Definitely, we'll definitely dive into it. So what led you, how did you end up in prison? Well, I always say that it's a spinoff, mm-hmm. and that's no pun intended being in the film and television uh, industry. It's a spinoff of what happened in my everyday life in my household growing up. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a domestic violence-plagued household off of Bunce Road in Fayetteville, North Carolina. My father's a ex-Vietnam vet slash Korean War vet, and he was pretty much diagnosed with PTSD after the wars, but they never counseled our African-American soldiers. They just let them right back into society and expected them to raise families and, and live a normal life. But my father had a lot of situations that was going on with him. And to give you an example, I'm not you're familiar with the simulated bombings that happened in Fort Bragg. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So when you're in Fayetteville, when you hear a simulated bombing go off, it's a trigger for vets that have PTSD that were in war. So he thought he was in war once he heard a simulated bombing go off, and then he would just jump up and just beat my mother down, thinking she was the enemy, mm. and you know, hold her in headlocks. We used to have to pull him, pull him off of my mother. And so just growing up in all this domestic violence and seeing the dysfunctionalism in my household and being ashamed of being at home and always wanting to be out in the streets or running around with my friends or whatever because I didn't like being home, it kind of evolved into resentment. So as I got older, lo and behold, here I am in Vietnam, you know, where there's a lot of vices out there and temptations when it comes to, you know, getting involved with street life and so on and so forth. So I got involved with street life in so many different levels. Um, I tried to escape one time by going into the military, but I got a medical discharge and, you know, how that goes. Went back to the streets and one thing led to another after I was involved with selling drugs, selling guns and stuff like that. And there was one situation where uh, we were out at a party and a certain uh, altercation occurred where a person lost their life. And after they lost their life, I was the one that was blamed for it because I was the one that was seen with one of the guns that were used in the actual murder. Um, And so I was targeted as the person that they charged. So I was charged with second degree murder and they locked me up, gave me a bond, I made bond. Three days later, you know, um, was keeping my mouth shut, Mm -hmm. knew who was responsible for the whole situation, but never ran my mouth. And then another situation happened seven months later while I was out on bond where altercation had arisen over a dispute over a small amount of drugs, and that altercation evolved into a um, shootout that led me getting locked right back up for murder, Mm -hmm. and I was facing the death penalty plus life plus 60 years in 1991 as a teenager. Mm -hmm. So how how did you... Face, you was facing this death penalty, so how, how did you end up with life? Did you take a plea or you went to yeah, trial? Yeah, I ended up taking a plea bargain, and one of the plea offers that they gave me was called an Alfred plea. Mm-hmm. And that was a plea that said, I don't have to state that I'm guilty for anything. I'm just saying, hey, this is for my best interest because I feel like I'm in fear of losing my life by going to trial or whatever. So I took a plea bargain for life. Ended up going to the uh, North Carolina Department of Corrections and decided to serve my life sentence the best way that I knew how. And that was being productive. I was on the inside. I got two college degrees, nine different vocational trades. 
I was writing plays for the inmates on the inside. I was uh, writing books. I was making sure that I was spending my time productively and changing my life and writing my wrongs because I knew I didn't want to be in that mind state for the rest of my life. And I felt like that there was some hope for me around the corner with just a life sentence that I would one day soon see in freedom. So I prepared myself and found out who I was on the inside. I was writing poetry. I was doing talent shows. Figuring out that I was a creative, talented person and I could be productive. I had dreams of helping the youth because when I was on the inside, closer to the end of my sentence, I seen the faces that were coming into prison becoming younger and younger. So that I knew there was a problem with our youth on the outside and I decided to say, you know what, here's the four things that I want to do. I wrote the vision down plain, like it says in scripture. I folded it up, put it in an envelope and never opened the envelope. Mm -hmm. And one of those things had a lot to do with helping the youth. The other things were making sure that I got involved with film and television and, you know, became an entrepreneur to make sure that I was able to sustain and um, use my gifts and let my gifts make way. And then, lo and behold, after serving 17 and a half years on that life sentence, they deemed me a model inmate and said, well, we're going to give you a second chance because we don't think you're supposed to be in here anymore. Right, right. Now, you said that your, your parents, what they went through and what you've seen yes. that kind of led you into the street life? Yeah, it, so? it, it gave me resentment. And then finally my mother couldn't take it no more, so she you know, split up with my father. My, fa my mother became a single mother uh, raising you know, <laughs> her kids mm -hmm. in, in, in the hood. And, and, and she was working for $3.65 an hour mm -hmm. at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't money, you know. Um, of course, my father was a high-ranking degree official in a certain organization, so when he went to court for, to pay alimony, he wasn't ordered to really pay anything, and then, you know, his military money, they couldn't touch that. That's always been a situation where they can't tell you what to do with your military money. Um, so my mom wasn't really making it, and I got tired of wearing hand-me-downs that my brothers used to have and all this other stuff, and I kind of wanted to look a little better, so here and there, you know, I would get involved with selling a little, little bit of weed, trying to make some extra money, and then, you know, as time went on, what I call the New Jack City era kicked in, and mm -hmm. there was more opportunities yeah. to get money in different ways. And, you know, as a, as a young person growing up um, in a state of oppression, which is what I call uh, Fayetteville had this oppressive black cloud over it sometimes, and we just was influenced to make some of the worst decisions, you know, because every situation I was in, trust me, I wasn't the only wrong one in that situation. Mm -hmm. Everybody out there was wrong, and right. we were just out doing, you know, stupid things for the wrong reasons, man, and there was no productivity behind that, and it just turned into a fiasco to where some people, you know, lost their lives and some people got incarcerated, you know. So did you make any amends with the family, any other family members or anything? Family members, friends, I made some amends here mm -hmm. and there, you know. Uh, some people to this very day are probably, you know. Um, Still not, Yeah, just, you know, I, I, and I can understand that because, mm -hmm. you know, I lost my nephew since I've been home when he came out of prison and it hurt me, my nephew Omar, when, mm -hmm. when his life got right. taken. It, it made me realize the pain that comes with that. So it was a pain that I actually was up against. And um, I realized, you know, even deeper how much pain that I caused. So it allowed me to seek redemption even further and to continue to live productively. And, you know, once I got off of parole, it made a lot of things easier because I had to stay on parole for several years. Right. And they tell you, don't talk to nobody. 
don't mess with nobody. I don't have no conversations with anybody that may be part of, you know, the victim circle, so to speak. And so, you know, I was in a, I was in a shell for a little while. Um, you know, still, still going after my creative outlets, but at the same time, trying to figure out at some point, how do I make complete amends and how do I seek, seek complete redemption? Mm-hmm. And you know, I did it here and there, but you know, everybody's not gonna be happy. Right, right, right. Now, going, going back, you said that you did uh, talent shows in, in prison and yes. wrote scripts and all that. Now. I know in high school you did talent shows and things too. I did. I did in middle school and high school and all of that. So my question is, do you think you could have challenged that, channeled your energy towards that instead of the life of crime? I do, but I was never nurtured. Nobody ever really knew the value of my creativity. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever came along and was like, hey, uh, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to send you to college or whatever, you know what I'm saying, for arts and entertainment. There was no, no outlets there. Um, and then on top of that, I wasn't as sociable as I am to this very day. My personality was different because I was ashamed of a lot of stuff happening in my household. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ever really let too many people get too close to me. The few people that were close to me would figure it out and find out later on that, you know, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. The neighborhood knew what was going on because the cops were always at my house for mm-hmm. my father or whatever. But at the same time, you know, the cops were at everybody's house in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> That's right, just right. the type of neighborhood it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you got to think, man. You got a whole bunch of black African-American military vets that you put in one central location. All of them got PTSD to some degree because most of them served in war or they were in the military long enough to be, you know, uh, conditioned to have PTSD. So if you put them in the middle of one neighborhood, man, and never counsel them, you got alcoholism, drug abuse, and all sorts of things. And that spawns crime. That spawns children that commit crime because they see crime around them, you know, and it's just going on 24-7 almost to the point to where it's a classic example of classical conditioning. Uh, Maybe I'm just only good for crime. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So... I could have made some good decisions because some of my friends made some good decisions and went to college. But, you know, I just think at one point <laughs> I felt like God put his hand on me and said, this is your life. I'm getting ready to put you through this because I need you to be a stronger example in the future. Mm-hmm. College ain't going to make you that. Mm-hmm. Prison will. Yeah. Full disclosure, me and Mike, we know each other. We hung around some of the same people, um, neighborhood, right paths, through a path we in, in, in yeah. each other's neighborhood. And um, one of the incidents he was charged with was a friend of mine. You okay, know, yeah. You know, he yeah. was a friend of mine, hung in my neighborhood. But the thing is, with that, you know, like you said, the people that will, some still bitter about the situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what I say is, and I've told Mike this, that it could have been you on the other end. It could have been. Because the way we was all living, yeah. it could have been you. Yeah, you know? I only reacted the way I reacted because right. it was about to be me on the other right. end. So, right. you know, you you just, you never know, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the end of the day, this is what I tell people, like, seriously, like, um, step back, take a look, and figure out what's happening after it all happened. And, you know, I could have came home and became a fool, mm-hmm. but I didn't, you know. Do you remember? So, when, what year did you come home? Oh, eight, and I ran into you. Right. Two weeks after right. I came right. home, right? Yeah. No, it had, no, it couldn't have been oh eight because I came home in ninety nine. So I came home in two thousand eight. Oh, two, 
2008. Oh, 2008. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right, right. I'm thinking <laughs> And 98. I ran into yeah. you two weeks yeah. in Northgate Mall. In the mall. In Do you Durham, remember? North, back in Durham, North Carolina. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, that's Leon. And I had caught word before through yeah. other people mm -hmm. that was working at the prisons I was at that right. said, you know, Leon, you know, uh, was, you know, cool with all those people and blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so I remember those words mm -hmm. ringing in my head when I saw you. Mm -hmm. And we like looked at each other. We kind of like tried to fill each other out. That's man, you know, <laughs> that's <how laughs> like we was on the yard. I was on that same page, and I was wondering, yeah. did you? And I, I told somebody else this. I said when I first seen Mike when he came home, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I said, I always wondered, was he filling me out? And oh yeah, and, I, you know, and, uh, I mean, yeah. you never know. Yeah, yeah, and never so know. I and like I don't know, like I had heard you were in a better place right, in life, right, right, right. But you know. Like, remind you when I said earlier, I had mm -hmm. made amends years down the road after right. being released. Mm -hmm. So I was literally, you were the first one mm -hmm. that I saw right. after being free. Right. Two weeks later, and I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> right, 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 right. How, what is this going to turn into? Yeah, because the first you know, thing you asked me when you walked, we walked to each other and shook my hand, you yeah. were like, everything good? I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I'm good, man. You good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I said, yeah. yeah. I, I, right. You know, anything we need to talk about. Right, right. And like, I right. always open the floor up to conversation right. and communication right. because right. that's the one thing that didn't happen mm -hmm. during those times, you know what I'm saying? And I realized that conversation and communication goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And you can, ex as a man, it doesn't make you soft to express oh, yourself yeah. wanting right. peace. Mm -hmm. You feel what right. I'm saying? Right. So. I think a lot of people, our, our youth get that misinterpreted because we don't teach it enough mm -hmm. to tell them it's okay. It, it doesn't make you soft seeking peace. It actually gives you the opportunity to live your life as a man. And you know, but you still stand your ground as a man. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that Leon was in a different place, it, it made me feel better about me being in my different right. place. Mm -hmm. So that I know turned into peace. Right. Because years down the road, I came to you again mm -hmm. when I formed my nonprofit mm -hmm. organization, mm -hmm. and you were helping give. You were giving out free haircuts to some of the guys, the youth that mm -hmm. I was, you know, dealing right, with, right. That, and that helped me out a lot. And then later on, we ended up on TV together right. in an interview. So mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when we come together in solidarity and under the terms of peace, we get a lot more accomplished, mm -hmm. okay. and that's just how I look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. Now, now, how 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 did you? Feel when the judge said life. Oh man! What 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 was your mind going through? Confusion. Confusion. What's up? What's up ahead? The road for what's what's on the road ahead for me? Mm -hmm. What is it that I'm gonna have to endure? What is, what am I up against? Right. I'm going to the place that they always stigmatize the stereotype on television and in movies as the worst place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, how do I get ready? And when I go in. I'm not just gonna run into friends. I'm gonna mm -hmm. run into enemies. Right, right. Because a lot of them was doing the mm -hmm. same stupid stuff for years and going in and out. So how do I confront this whole situation? And thank God I was given a day before I had to go to prison after getting my life sentence. I was given a day just to still be in the jail. I was able to meditate, pray, get my thoughts together, and 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 pull the ill intentions out of my heart after fearing the possibility I have to encounter conflict behind this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So how do I go in? You know, I go in a warrior, but I go in a peaceful warrior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
luckily through divine intervention, I was able to encounter people in peace. Right. And at the same time, you know, um, people knew me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people knew my real nature. They knew I wasn't that type of person. That's mm-hmm. a rah rah person. Right. That if anything, it was because you know there was some endangerment involved mm-hmm. and some life threatening situations. So you know, I wasn't I wasn't that dude that people can say, yeah, he was always causing trouble. Yeah, that's the same with me. You know, yeah. I, I share my story, but I wasn't. I know I'm not. You're not gonna hear anybody say that I was. Yeah. Just, it just we just. I guess caught up in the streets, I guess. Like Man, we were just caught up in, <laughs> in in the confusion of our youth. Right, right. And a lot of people don't realize it, man. It could happen to you in a split second. Yeah. And it could happen to anybody. Yeah. Product of your environment. Product of your environment. Yeah. And then you just react to your immediate circumstances and situations, man. And this is why I always try to talk to the youth to, you know, you got to think about it, man. We came up in the era when gangster rap had just right. hit. Yeah, they, when movies like New Jack City just yeah, hit. Yeah. I just had somebody that was on uh, a, a week ago. Uh-huh. He mentioned that's what, not New Jack City, it was... Uh, Boys in the Hood, Belly, probably, maybe. or Minister what? Society or Belly, yeah, yeah. one of those. Yeah, yeah. The very yeah. influential movies. He listened to a lot of NWA and Scarface yeah. back then, too. Yeah, man, that <laughs> yeah. was just coming yeah. up, yeah. and everybody was like, yeah. okay, this is different, I want right. to listen to it, but just, mm-hmm. just think about the spirit that... It, it it puts into you like and the words you when you let certain things go into your ear gate it becomes a m- manipulative spirit to the mm-hmm. point to where you're gonna think and react to what is going in and out your mind mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying right so I got a question yes I hear a lot of people say uh, successful people or people who who've overcame or built businesses and this and that yes and people ask them the question what would you have done different and a lot of them say. I wouldn't have done anything different because it made me who I am today. Yes. Would you go back and do something different? Even though you, you're successful now, would you go back oh, and do something different? Only thing that I regret is that a life had to be lost. Right. And if I can go back and do anything different, if God would allow me to, if this is what wasn't his doing, you know, the only thing that I can go back and do differently is to stay in bed that day. Or I, I could have been at this event with a friend of mine. She had asked me to come to the event. I could have been at that event and not have been in that situation that day. Right, right. I say I would listen to my mama and my grandma. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, here's the thing, yeah. you know. So my mother, my mother, my mother was German mm-hmm. and my mother pretty much didn't feel like I was getting caught up in nothing. So her, she was very liberal with how we ran our own lives. Mm-hmm. So if she's not trusting, she's not even, she's not even, there was things that I was being sneaky about. Right. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we all were. So if they don't know, mm-hmm. they don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you. I don't like the way this feels. Right. Because they don't think you're getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, like I said, again, the type that always got into trouble. And it just so happened that my mode of operation was in an area that will bound to make you fall mm-hmm. at some point. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So just the fall itself, man, to me, is uh, what I would have changed because people got hurt. Mm-hmm. Emotions were hurt. You know, um, people on my side lost me. Mm-hmm. My little oh, yeah. brother, yeah, yeah, he he didn't 
it messed him up. It messed yeah. his head up yeah. to lose his big brother for indefinitely. Yeah. Now, you're you touching on something that I've been saying on basically every interview so far. Yeah. like We heard our family. both sides. Yeah, we yeah. heard our family yeah. you know, at the same time hurting ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. More probably, yeah. man, yeah. because, you know, my, now my mom is having to come see me every weekend in a prison. Mm -hmm. You know, uh... My little brother is having, you know, my little brother couldn't even see me for it. I had to stay in the county jail three years waiting for trial. Mm. That whole time, you know, there was an age limit. And my little brother could not come see me that whole time. One time, mm -hmm. the lieutenant was like, man, I'm tired of seeing this. Saw my little brother outside, went and got him and walked him upstairs and let him come to the window where my mom was at. And it like broke me down mm. to see my brother come out of nowhere at 11 years old. 12 years old saying, hey, Mikey. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like, wow. Mm -hmm. right. And he cried. Mm -hmm. I cried. Right. That's when I realized there was more pain behind this whole situation than anybody can ever, ever imagine. But you know, my tears were because of the pain that I knew I was feeling in the moment. And I was just like, yo, you know, I just can imagine who else is crying. Right, right. So I was never selfish about you know, the whole situation, I always knew, yeah, if you ever make it out of here alive, you better go your ass home and do right. Right, right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And whatever, whatever productive activity you can get involved with, you better go hard. Mm -hmm. And that's how I used to preach to myself every day. Yeah, and that's what I like. When you came home, that's for me we put our head down, never look back. Yeah, just, just start, yeah, you know, exactly. Striving and to that's, be better that's, people, and, and that's why I admired you as the years went on. Because, and when you asked me to do this, I said sure. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because I, because some people may not want to see us sitting here talking together, discussing these things on a microphone, but mm -hmm. somebody else needs to hear this. Oh yeah, yeah. Most There's definitely. way more people out there that we need to be concerned about than those that are going to be selfish and yeah. hate uh -huh. what they're seeing or right. hearing right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I have no room for hatred right now. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's not going to ever play yeah. a role in my life. You take that up with God. Right. That's how I roll with and, it. You, you know, know like you say, I have people, like we know a lot of the same people. And a lot of them ain't going to. Nah. Not going to like this interview. But, it's cool. You know, it's, it's cool. cool you know, because. I still love them. Yeah, we love everybody, <laughs> right, man. Right. And you know, you, right. you can hate me, I'm going to still love you. Right. Because God told me to. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if I hate you. That's mm -hmm. ugly. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. ugly. Yeah, we don't want you know to. Don't you can get there. upset, right. talk about me on right. social media, right. comment about me, call me out of my name. Right. Just keep it at that. Right. You right. know what I'm saying? I understand. Yeah. So we're we going to jump into your book, you know. Oh, yeah. Your the book. book. Well, the book, which became a movie. Yeah, which became a movie. For a polished Souls? Yeah, A yeah. Polished Soul. A Polished Soul. Right, right. Tell yeah. us more about the movie. How you? How did you get all them, them actors in there? Because... The movie is not even really about the crime. The movie right. is about the redemption and mm -hmm. overcoming prison. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do was say, okay, everybody's always telling people how not to go to prison. Mm -hmm. Let's say you go. What happens then? How do you overcome it? How do you endure it? And how do you defeat it so that it doesn't become a plague in your life where you keep going back? Mm -hmm. I made a movie... Um, based on people I started meeting, because I came, became an actor first mm -hmm. before I became a producer. And as I was going through the industry, I was meeting people. Everywhere that I was at, I would meet somebody and they would hear my story. If I was a speaker at the BET Awards mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. whatever I was doing, I was meeting people 
that would fall in love with me. And, you know, they would just be like, yo, Mike, you know, your story and blah, blah, blah. Because I was never deflecting the blame. Mm -hmm. I was taking responsibility for all my actions, right. number one. Oh, yeah, you got to do that. Yeah. 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 And number two, I was never the one that was claiming he was innocent for everything. Right. You know what I'm saying? Even though there was some innocence involved with some of it. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I was able to tell them what I learned mm. not to do while I was in prison. Right. So these people that I met were major actors, major producers and stuff like that, and they would say, well, talk to me. Let's see what we can do for this project. And so I went in, was able to put something together. We started filming the movie, and then it was not until years later that I started trying to get it off the ground that this brother named David, Le David Leather Sr., he approached me. He was the father of David Leathers Jr., who was a two-time American Idol finalist that Larry Rivera had introduced me to. Mm -hmm. So when he brought his son to me, he wanted to figure out how I could possibly help re revamp his career and kind of like resurrect his career because being on America Idol had crushed this young man mm -hmm. and kind of made him unmotivated to go after his dream with his gift of singing and all that. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, make a long story short, David Leather Sr. man jumped in and decided to help me. Several other people decided to help me on the project. Some people contributed here and there. You know, Brandon King, shout out to Brandon King, helped out. Um, Andre Dude, my man that I've known ever since Little League football in um, Fayetteville. He's a sushi chef now. He jumped in with a few things. Man, so many people helped in so many different ways. Right. You know, um, Shout out to my boy, Damian Moore, gave us a location, you know, where I started at, working at Dame's Chicken and Waffles. When I first came home, mm -hmm. we started that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the things that were part of success became a part of my movie right. because it was my journey and my life story. Mm -hmm. So I had everything really put together as I was living. Right, right. Was able to pull these actors in. They got involved. You know, that cost a little money, but right. we did what we had to do, right. you know, here and there. God will provide. God will provide, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, you know, with the low budget that we were able to put together, we were able to, because I skillfully learned how to make movies by studying Google. I went to Google University and YouTube <laughs> right, University. Right, right. So I was able to figure out how to become a filmmaker right. and then just pretty much shot that whole movie myself, mm -hmm. did the sound myself. On several occasions, I had one or two people that might have stepped in and did all the editing myself. Well, I need a cameo because I, I, <laughs> I, I always want to be an actor myself. So. Well, look, <laughs> I got multiple film projects coming up, man. So right. I could definitely get you involved with anything because right. that's my thing, man. My mm -hmm. thing is really making sure that the brothers that went through the same struggle I did right. are able to live through this dream. We have yeah. a few people in there, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, uh, who was in there? Tamarcus Austin. He mm -hmm. was part of the movie. He played one of my homies from Detroit in there uh, that we all knew each other. I I had some former COs playing inmates. Right. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, crazy, yeah. man. And it was just like dope. And it was just a whole grand experience. And the Cumberland shout out to Sheriff Enos, who opened up the Cumberland County Jail. My boy, my childhood friend I grew up with, Clay Morning, helped me with it too. Mm -hmm. Opened up the Cumberland County Jail so I could mm -hmm. film the prison scenes in there. And here, uh, over here in Durham, there was the Broad Street uh, Juvenile Facility that opened up for me. So everybody was just opening. It was like God said, mm -hmm. and God did, right? And it happened. 
Yeah, that, that that's that's what your term "God out the box" is. God awesome. out the box is awesome, man. That's why. <laughs> when I did you? Him. How did you come up with that? When you I come up with that because people think you just have to go to a worship uh, a building to worship him, right? And put him in a box, you know, walls and a and a ceiling. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, you take him with him everywhere you go, wherever you go, and you allow his vast existence to be more than just inside of a building or mm -hmm. in a congregation or wherever or inside mm -hmm. of a temple or inside of a mosque or wherever. He exists above and beyond and can do so many more things than we always have a tendency to box him. Right. Yeah. We yeah. put him in a box. Uh -huh. Nah. Yeah. Greater than that. You yeah, know greater saying? than that. Yeah, yeah. The other day I, I posted God, God provides. That's all I posted on Facebook. Exactly. And the reason I posted that because somebody asked me about a certain situation that I Something that I did, and I said, I'm not worried about it. I said, God would provide. You know, he, all I did, what I've been through in life, from starting two barbershops to yeah, man. starting his podcast. Yeah, man, you have been doing it. And and he's, he's providing. He, you know? And he's there. And, right. you know, I think about everybody else. Like, because even one of the people that helped me out of here and there with the um, movie was um, Kelsey Battle. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I can. I can. Shout out to, Ke shout out to Battle. Battle. I can. I can. You know, he was one of the people that you know, jumped on on board. You know, and, and was a behind the scenes silent person that helped out here and there. And mm -hmm. and I'm looking, and I'm just like, yo, all these people are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Like, like I said in the beginning when I started my organization, you helped me with the haircuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 it feels good. It feels great to right, work as right. a community. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. that's why I say later for the hatred. Yeah. Get yeah. that out of my face. And know? make sure y'all go. Instagram, check out Kelsey I Battle. Can, I can man. close Instagram I can. or ICanClose.com. Yeah, 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 that's that's the man right there, man. Yeah. So talk about uh, Sins of the City. Uh, oh, that was a new a, episode. Yeah, it actually aired already oh, aired on already. TV okay. One. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people called me from Fayetteville and was just like, "Yo, Mike, I saw you." You know, <laughs> right. I played I played a detective. And I actually fell asleep before it came on. Too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. Up the next morning, like, dang, I missed it. It's cool. It's cool. But it was about. Uh, Juan Segovia, a detective, I played his role. He was the one that solved the murder of your guy that played for Miami, um, Sean, um, what was his name? I say I forgot already. Right. But anyway, it, it's a TV show. It comes mm -hmm. on TV One. But I've been on several TV One television yeah, shows as an actor. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, just the joy of it, man, is a beautiful thing, man. Right. You know, it keeps me productive and it keeps me operating in my creativity and my art. And that's what saved me on the inside. Right. I was able to stay artistic and creative. Yeah. And survive prison without even losing my mind. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good thing to see. A good thing to see. Yeah. Um, so what would you tell kids today that are going through the same struggles we went through? Be more transparent and be more honest about the wrong that you're doing. Because sometimes we don't want to hear that you're trying to cover up the wrong you're doing. We don't want to hear you lie about it. We don't. We want to hear you to tell the truth so we can teach you. Be more transparent. And allow yourself to open up and realize that you do want to make the change. If you don't make the change before these certain circumstances and repercussions happen, then be willing to make the change after it happens. If you ever find yourself in an institution, incarcerated, jail, prison, or whatever, it ain't too late to change your mind and make your life better. That's what I tell them because it, it, sometimes it's inevitable. Yeah. They will end up in some type yeah. of facility. Right. Because if they choose to do wrong, if you mm -hmm. choose to do wrong and you end up there, change your life there. It ain't too late. It ain't too late. Never too late. Never we, too late. Always strive to get better. Always strive to day. get better, yeah. man. Well, there you have it for another episode of the Impel Ford Podcast. Mm -hmm.
thanks for coming on mike my pleasure brother what you saw don't forget to like share and subscribe to the mpl4 podcast